That's the end of the gin and <laughs> Otherwise, tonic I think at this point they should know how to make a gin and tonic. <laughs> so I think, so I think we are. I think we're safe. <laughs> so we're drinking. Hello and welcome to episode 189 of the Rockstar CMO Effing Marketing Podcast, part of the Marketing Podcast Network. It's Saturday the 28th of October. I hope you've had a great week and you are well and staying as sane as you feel you need to be. I'm your host Ian Truscott. I'm a CMO but no rockstar and with the help of my guests and chums that I've met on my journey from sysadmin to CMO, I want to share the marketing street knowledge that we hope will inspire the marketing rockstar in you. Come say hello. You can find links to me and my guests at rockstarcmo.com or follow us on LinkedIn. This week in the marketing studio, ex-Forester Research Director Jeff Clark and I dive down the marketing ROI rabbit hole and my chum and content marketing guru Robert Rose shares a thought about the demise of Twitter and organic social over a cocktail in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar. But first... We need to pay the bar tab. I'll be back in a moment. We'll be right back. We'll be right back. You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy. Tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. our first segment the rockstar cmo studio with jeff clark our resident strategy advisor former forester research director and my opportunity to get some free advice in the continuation from last week's chat about budget we dive into marketing ROI. whoa ian how are you doing today i'm all right mate how are you I am doing well. We have a beautiful sunny autumn day. Was out for a walk, and uh, I see out your back window. It looks reasonably nice there mm. in the United Kingdom. Yeah, yes. Uh, it started pretty miserable, but we've had a lo- beautiful blue skies, and I too have been for a little stroll earlier on as well. So uh, yes, too. I was inspired by one of my my old colleagues from a company, Pegasystems, who actually is in the UK. I might actually live around the corner from you. Actually, yes. south of London, and they had posted a picture of their lovely sunny day. Nice. So that was inspired me to get out for a walk. Nice, cool. So that's uh, so we've had the same weather, which uh, makes change. <laughs> so <that's> yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this week um, we are. Well, last week, uh, for the regular listeners, uh, we, or not for the regular listeners, I mean, we last for week. Yeah, People for can anybody. go back and listen to it. Yes, yeah. it's, it's a fact for everybody is that last week we talked about uh, budgeting as it's budget season. Um, I was thinking of Elmer Thud then. <laughs> that's, that's going <laughs> budget season rabbit season no anyway so um <laughs> going so, down the rabbit hole that's yes that's where... exactly so um we did skip across the rabbit hole of roi and we thought well we'll come back to that and here we are we're coming back to it we're back and we're going to go down the rabbit hole of roi so as i understand it and you are so so wonderful 
to me, Jeff, in that you come up with five things. Uh, you've got five FNROI rules to live by, I understand. So what say you, Jeff? Well, you know, it is when we were um, tiptoeing over that rabbit hole last week, yeah. and I was thinking about the the fact that, you know, I've been, you've been, we, I mean, we've all been in meetings where some executive says, well, what's, you know, we're running that expensive, whatever, user conference, we're going to that trade show again, what's the return on that? Yeah. And we're doing all these webcasts, and we see, you guys are busy, yeah, but what's, what are yeah. you doing that's impacting revenue? And, and it's very easy to get caught in an ROI discussion uh, that, goes worse than down a rabbit hole mm-hmm. <laughs> um leads you off a cliff unless you unless you kind of do your homework up front so that's what uh, the rules to live by is kind of doing the homework up front to uh to be able to talk about roi uh, for marketing nice but before you do the thing and then have to justify it afterwards <laughs> yeah, yeah <really>. <laughs> <laughs> all right mate so what's your first well the first is to know uh, the difference between measures that have impact on the business and measures of output, activity. I mean, there's all kinds of things that we can measure in marketing. And mm-hmm. impact are things that affect the goals of the business and they're meaningful to the executive team. And those are different than when you get into, you know, what we, we would categorize as kind of outputs, so leads attendees to seminars or conferences, the number of meetings you set up, those are all outputs, uh, excuse me, outputs <laughs> of the activity that you did. And, uh-huh. and, you know, and sometimes you report on activity, you know, this is the number of webinars we've done, or this is, you know, blah, 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 the number of pieces of material we created for the sales enablement program. So those can be important, but if anyone says, well, what's the return on that? Then, you gotta you gotta like say well let's let's go back and let's talk about our our uh, the things that we're doing that have impact and maybe how some of those outputs and activity actually rolled up into that. So mm-hmm. number one is no impact measures, which tend to be you know what do we do to impact revenue, pipeline, uh, market share, brand, uh, profitability, uh, customer satisfaction. Those are all things that are mm-hmm. of interest to the executive team. Right. So this is measuring out, uh, you've said measure impacts, but really this is measuring outcomes, not output. Is that a good summary? Of That's it? another way of looking at it. Outcomes yeah. is another way of, of looking at it. But outcomes, because outcomes can be mm. interpreted a number of ways, and, and, mm-hmm. but we want it to be outcomes that are, or yeah. impacts that are of, Right. relevant to the executive team. Right. I like that. So that's number one. Now the difference between impact measures or output or activity. What's number two? So number two is to define, you know, measurable, impactful goals, mm-hmm. you know, for marketing. So let's just, let's just talk at the high level, your marketing department, what are the things that, that you are doing that have a contribution to revenue, you know, influenced, sourced, engaged pipeline, whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, you know, what have you done to, are you doing that's impacting brand? What are those goals? What are you doing that impacted customer satisfaction? We did, I just want to note, we did episode 171, which wasn't too long ago on brand <laughs> measurement. So yeah. there are ways, some people usually think about brand measurement. They think, oh my God, you know, yeah. year long annual brand studies. And it's like, no, there's, there's other things you can do. Uh, what have we done that impacts sales productivity? That's obviously mm-hmm. something that's of high value to the executive team. So are there things that we're doing 
that where we can show that we're improving their their sales ability to get revenue or doing it more profitable mm-hmm. profitably. So when you're when you're thinking about you know these these impacts, it's like do we have goals? Because we got to set goals. Are they measurable? Because you you know yeah. it's nice to have nice fluffy goals, but you want to set measurable goals. And then back to our first rule: Are those measures actually impactful, or are they something that is on the road to delivering the impact? Right, right, okay. And we've gone, we talked about goals and KPIs and OKRs quite a lot, haven't we, on the show? So this yes, kind have. of just gets back to that. But what your the extension of that conversation really is: How do we then apply that to spend and revenue? And and that that specific business goal of that's basically around cash, right? So, yeah, and, so, and, yeah, and so often it's you know, I mean, certainly in the in the the, the decades in which marketing yeah. started to turn to be around demand and impacting revenue was all about sourced revenue yeah. or pipeline, influenced yeah. revenue pipeline. How many meetings you set that led to opportunities, or what's yeah. your engagement with opportunities, yeah. um, and. That's a that's another rabbit hole which we may have talked in the past or <laughs> yeah, can talk yeah. about in the future. But uh, yeah. that's the typical one. But you don't mm-hmm. want to stop there because there may be other things you're doing that are impacting the business level right. goals. All right. Well, I better crack on because I know you've got a hard stop, mate. So just remember that. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so number three. What's your number three? Well, is to avoid discussions of tactic level ROI because kind of like in the setup you know we're talking about you know mm-hmm. you, we do this event every year and it costs a lot of money you know what's their ROI on it mm-hmm. and the reason you don't want to get into that discussion is that you know any particular tactic is like one or two touches on an opportunities journey so yeah. you can measure the effectiveness of that particular tactic based on your goals for the tactic based on benchmarks, historical yeah. trends. You know, last year we got so many people to the user conference. This year we got 20% more. Yeah. Um, and, but you want to make sure that it's like, you know, you want to get into the discussion about, well, during the customer journey, we have determined that this tactic is important. Mm-hmm. Or we've actually, you know, we may have said if somebody's pushing you, pushing back on, you know, why we run so many webinars and, you, you know, we ran the numbers and we found out, that it really wasn't that important to the customer's journey. Um, mm-hmm. So you want to you want to be able to basically continue that or try to put a stop to that discussion as you're avoiding the discussion about tactical level ROI. Says, well, we've determined that tactic is important. I can't deliver you an ROI from a revenue perspective, but I could tell you that against whatever you know the goals mm-hmm. we set or the benchmarks we set or what we've been able to do in the past, this yeah. is an important tactic and it is actually doing better for us. Right. Okay. So the difference there is, because I really like this one, avoiding the discussion tactic, because it's so often that that's what we do. I mean, you see it all the time. I mean, discussion in, in, in my day job about PPC, for example, I think the impact of PPC um, isn't just on direct revenue. You also ha- it, it creates awareness and all this other yep, stuff, right? And, and brand and all that. Kind of, and it, those are harder things to measure. But I really like that phrase you use there, that any tactic is only one or two touches on the opportunity's journey. So if you're doing these ROI calculations, you need to try and roll up all of the touches that that opportunity may have had, um, which is quite a difficult thing to argue for isn't it because you're basically saying give me here's some budget for marketing and in return i shall give you this return i can't tell you exactly how (laughs) 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 almost you know to to the 
to, I mean, because then it's, it's, and oh, actually, no, you've answered the question because the value of the tactic is that actually the goal is that it attracts more people to a webinar or something like that. You may not be able to do the ROI attribution on a monetary level, but you can see that it made a contribution to a lower level goal, which eventually leads to revenue, right? Right, which actually yeah. gets yeah, to yeah. number four on my rules Ooh, to live goody. by. <laughs> so are you going to ask me what number four is <laughs> yes what's no. number four i thought you were rolling straight into it and yeah, got really bored not. of listening to me so no, you told yes. me you told me never don't roll into the next one <laughs> well it's the, the thing is it's, it's my only job if i don't get a chance to say what's number four jeff then uh, i don't really play a role in this podcast what's number four jeff <laughs> is to allocate those you know so at the top level of marketing we have you know measurable impactful goals so let's mm-hmm. ladder those down or allocate them down to campaigns. And by campaigns, I mean, you know, uh, basically multi-tactic integrated sets of work that, that are going to, you know, transpire over the year or maybe the portion of the Mm -hmm. year and whether you're doing it by audience or buyer need, like we often talk about or product, whatever Mm -hmm. it is, you want to say, you know, we're running three or four big campaigns and our, let's just take our, you know, our contribution to pipeline is, is X mm. and 30% of that X is going to campaign one, 30% of that X is campaign two and 30% mm. is campaign three. And then when you get into the, so it's, this is why I said it kind of relates back to the tactics is like they said, well, you know, if we're doing this campaign and let's say we're, we're, we're focused on HR uh, executives for buying yeah. our product. And it's like, well, we know HR executives, they go to this conference. We know that they read these types of papers. They, yeah. they follow this type of um, particular community. And that's why we chose those things. Um, and those things seem to be successful and they're helping us deliver on the goal for our mm-hmm. HR campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and so if you, if, if you take that next level down, you can both, you know, set goals that are impactful. You can measure them uh, and you can tie it to, you know, to something that is of concern to the executive team. Right, right. So this is, I mean, again, a topic that we've discussed on the podcast a number of times about OKRs and goals and stuff. This is this stuff just laddering right down, isn't it, into what what are the goals of this campaign and what are the goals of this tactic and it, and it all sort of ladders back up again to revenue or whatever our, our OKR is there. So so that's number four. So just as a recap, so number one, we know the difference between our impact measures and output or activity. Number two, divine measurable impactful goals for marketing. Number three, avoid discussions of tactic, uh, tactic level ROI. It'd uh, be great if I could read the notes. And number four, you just did <laughs> allocate measurable, impactful goals for the campaign. What's your fifth and final? So d- determine how large-scale projects serve those campaigns. Right. Um, so, you know, and this is where you get to the big, chunky things like a user conference or this monster trade show that you appear to yeah. every year. and uh, Or you're doing something... I mean, I've been in a number of companies where we put a ton of effort into sales enablement. And yeah. and um, so you're developing a lot of content. You're making that available. You're hopefully improving productivity. It doesn't fit within a campaign. I mean, any mm-hmm. of these things you could say, well, it spans campaigns or it doesn't fit within one. Mm-hmm. So you've got to figure out, you know, out of those top level goals for marketing, if you attributed so much or allocated so much to a set of campaigns, mm-hmm. then does this big chunky thing, you know, does it 
fit into one of those? Does it span a couple of them, or do you just need to set it aside mm. and and work on how you can, um, you know, like sales enablement tools and stuff like that? I mean, you can you can follow trends and improvement of sales productivity and true, you know, uh, yeah, success yeah. against sales goals or shortening sales cycles. Uh, and try to make correlations between what you guys did versus something that is impactful. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's probably the uh, one of the harder nuts of the things that we've talked about so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, it's one you'll run across uh, again <laughs> if you've got any of these big large scale projects that don't yeah, fit yeah. into some set of demand gen work. Yeah, especially if you do a large event because it, because it's good for the CEO's ego. <laughs> never has a return. Never, never been involved in that. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the sales enablement, um, and I think we've got a few minutes. The sales enablement thing is an, is an interesting point because that doesn't just cover sales enablement. That is like almost all of product marketing and many of the things oh, yeah. that sit within the marketing function but are not direct contributors to revenue, right? But you've Correct. got to have that. And how do you measure the ROI of sales enablement? How do you measure the ROI of product marketing or even to a certain extent content marketing, right? Because you're looking at a different set of metrics for those, aren't you? And this is actually a discussion I'm having during the day, which is I have a content marketing, product marketing team. and And the leader of that is like, you know, looking at looking at their goals and their goals are not revenue based. Their goals are based on enablement, building community building an audience thinking like a publisher thinking like a media organization and reach i need to we need to create different metrics for different parts of our organization as well as different parts of a campaign right i think it, it's um and this is a it is a it's a conundrum or a tough, tough one to crack yeah, because yeah. you are creating and, and typically when this becomes important to the executive team yeah is when there is identified there's a sales productivity problem. You know, we 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 have a low percentage of, or I should say, mm. we have a high percentage of the sales force that are not meeting quota. We have a high percentage of the sales force who are complaining about the access to materials. Yeah. We have people. We have I, well, the one company work that we we are changing messaging, and we have a sales force that doesn't understand the new messaging. And doesn't think it's important. So now yeah. there's a there's a effort that needs to happen. Um, but hopefully, you know, since I mean, executives always look at sales productivity metrics. You know, how quick is it to get from you know uh, opening yeah, yeah. A, uh, an opportunity to closing it? What's our win rate? What's our and so since they they look at through microscopes at that stuff, uh, it is something that you can say, okay, you know, this is the work that we did, and we're seeing an improvement in whatever those important metrics are that have to do with sales productivity. Yeah, the, I, I think this is almost a rabbit hole in itself here because this is marketing's role in improving sales efficiency, and yet if your marketing team, your marketing team aren't necessarily going to be measured on that if they're if they're measured on the number of opportunities they create or the number of leads they create or the number of mqls they create they're not measured on if it, sales efficiency and stuff yeah. so i think if you're doing those functions then you've really got to look at what the okrs of your marketing team are aren't they they're then beyond just uh a revenue contribute marketing revenue a- contribution. absolutely yeah yep. yeah yeah okay cool well i know you got hard stop my friend uh so let's get to the third and final part of our agenda which is the song what are we going for this week 
We are going to uh, go back to 1974 <laughs> to a, at your suggestion, so I just want to point that out, to a James Brown classic called Payback, yes. which, I mean, it, it fits because if you think about what we're trying to arm our uh, our listeners with, we want them to be able to say, as James Brown says in quotes, get ready, you mother, for the big payback. <laughs> yes. Because <laughs> I'm going to deliver it to you. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, and the reason why I chose this again is I think we've had a song from the from the theme of Lock, Stocks, Two Smoking Barrels, which is one of my favorite films. So it's, yeah. on that, it's on that thing. So just as my excuse for why uh, we are really dipping into the classics week after week. It, it, it makes me want to spin in the chair and go, ow, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think you did well with reading out that line. Get ready, you mother, for the big payback. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I'll play out with that. And I'm giving you a break from the studio next week because I'm actually speaking to David Alexandra, the CMO of Everbridge. So we'll see you in two weeks' time, Jeff. Awesome. I look forward to it, my Can't friend. I'll see you there. Okay. <laughs> Cheers, mate. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jeff, and that was Payback from James Brown, released as a single in 1974. Jeff shares more of this advice on our blog. Swing by rockstarcmo.com and click on the Street Knowledge link on the homepage or get in touch and let us know what you think. Right, it's that time of the week to wind down the week in the Rockstar CMO virtual bar with my friend and content marketing guru, Robert Rose, Chief Troublemaker at the Content Advisory for a cocktail and a marketing thought. Good evening, Robert. What are you drinking? Oh, hello, my friend, and welcome to the bar for the mm. weekend. It's, uh, I don't know where, I don't know how it is where you are, but I am, I am so ready for some nice fall weather. The leaves are changing. Yes. I mean, even here in Southern California, they're changing, which is nice. Wow. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So what I have... Uh-huh. Then, because whenever it gets to be the weather like this, a good, cool, crisp fall sort of evening, mm-hmm. uh, I want Italian food. Um, and so there's nothing better to start the Italian meal and where we are than starting in the bar with a Negroni. Yes. Um, and so we're going to have a Negroni this week. Um, and it's just a lovely way you know it's got the fall color to it mm-hmm. it's um and of course it's gin so yeah um always nice and so of course it's very easy to make um you just have the three-quarter parts uh campari to a, a one part i like to say gin <laughs> um and then basically uh, a little bit you know maybe three-quarter half part uh sweet vermouth uh and then some people make it with carbonated water or some make it with flat water. Um, I love it with, you know, sort of sparkling water. Mm-hmm. It's nice. Um, and then, of course, a wedge of lemon just to, to garnish all that off. And all you need to do is pour all that stuff together over ice and 
nice. you have yourself a lovely, lovely, lovely drink. That's now, good. some people also do it neat, by the way. So mm-hmm. I don't, I shouldn't, uh, some people will like their Negroni shaken and poured into a martini glass, but uh, I like them over, over ice too. So is that, so that would just be the Campari and gin? Is that the, the neat Negroni? Is that what you're saying? Or do you always put the Well, no, in? you do the Campari, the gin, then the sweet vermouth, and then you can shake it all up into a, yeah. into a, in a shaker and then just pour that into a martini glass and you know, maybe squeeze a little lemon in there mm. and have sort of a, a mar- you know, a martini kind of yeah, I think uh, Negroni, the- which I've had before and is yeah. delicious. Yeah. Um, or you can just pour it over, uh, pour it over ice. I think I've had the poured over ice, but I think I've had the, I don't recall having sparkling water in a, into, in a Negroni, but I haven't had that many of them. <laughs> I should continue to exper- experiment. Yeah. <laughs> All right, mate. Well, I am... Um, for the listeners, I am officially retiring the meme-making gin and tonic joke. So if we just have a moment just to let that joke die. <laughs> <laughs> just in happy remembrance. I mean, it's been... We've done that joke hundreds of times. <laughs> I think Hundreds I of think times. it's... And I, I, I will enjoy a gin and tonic review, and I think uh, I will maybe make myself a gin and tonic prior to us recording next time but unless anybody says to me ian i love it when you make a gin and tonic um then please hit me up on the socials but other than that that's the end of the gin and uh, otherwise tonic i think at this point they should know how to make a gin and tonic <laughs> so i think so i think we are i think we're safe there so we're drinking a negroni this week and where are we going to take these lovely drinks where are we going to drink these lovely well drinks? i think we should get up into the mountains because Ooh. you know so you know there is the the mountains up near where i live mm-hmm. um where the leaves actually do change quite quite a bit yeah. up there um in the microclimate and uh there's a place called big bear mm-hmm um, which is a lake um, up in the mountains, um, not that far from my home, but uh, it's a wonderful place. You know, sort of think of a, a mountain lake with big pine trees and mm. a lodge, and we can sit there and have some good Italian food and and uh, and drink Negronis. Yeah, I think we were, was it last week. We were also saying thing because when you start talking about Italian food, I know that we're going to have a really nice glass of wine as well. <laughs> Hanging around. Oh, indeed. Oh, well, indeed. There's that as well. Yeah. The Negroni is only the start. That's our, that's our starting cocktail. And then we move on to the, you know, we're going to move on to the Brunellos. uh, And yeah. And then maybe something for after dinner, a grappa after dinner. (laughs) The other, the other, uh, when was it? The week before last, I was at a a management offsite in Split, which is very nice. And I started, I started a meal with a, with a, um, with a martini. And you know the evening is going to go quite quite well after that. <laughs> so, always like to start with a cocktail. Fantastic! All right, so we're oh, we're having yeah. these. My, my, I had a good friend of mine who used to. What he would do is he would he would sit down, mm-hmm. and he would have you know before we got into wine he would he would order some form of of cocktail mm-hmm. all the time and he used to call it cutting the dust. Oh. He said, "Yeah, got to cut the dust." Right. So you got to cut the dust with a cocktail and then you're ready for some wine. Oh, nice. Yes, absolutely. All right. So um, we are in Big Bear in this lovely lodge uh, and we're looking at the lovely scenery. And obviously, because it's me and you, the conversation turns to marketing. What are we talking about this week? Well, I think we're going to talk about what the opportunity now is coming. You know, so one of the things that we joke about and have joked about, you know, in addition Mm -hmm. to making... uh, Gin and tonics <laughs> gin and tonic. is sort of the collapse of 
Twitter and and sort of the yes. evolution of, of social media, which we usually save to the last part of this bit anyway. But I yeah. think we're at a point now, and as we sort of end October, come into November and start looking at planning for 2024, one of the things that I think we need to start to acknowledge is that social media may be collapsing in on itself. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a really and, and I don't mean dying by any stretch. I just mean really fundamentally evolving. And so one of the opportunities I think that we have is and and the data seem to point to this is the opportunity to change the nature of what we mean by social. Um, and here's what I mean by that. So we can start to see and there's all these charts out there and, and we'll link them in the post that um, I can certainly uh, you'll link to in the show notes. Um, all this data that's being gathered. Uh, there's a chart by Axios right now that shows the just sort of complete collapse of organic clicks to websites yeah. uh, from Facebook and X uh, and basically where news, you know, links to articles and news is just, it, it's just it, the undis- you know, undeniably collapsing. Um, now, of course, a lot of this is strategic by the platforms, right? You know, to whatever extent you think X is doing anything strategic, um, basically <laughs> you can see that they are de-emphasizing links to external sites. Um, mm-hmm. And you can also know that Facebook, you know, see what they're doing in Canada and see what they're doing elsewhere, are starting to de-emphasize news links and really try and get out of the news business and linking Mm -hmm. to other article sites but we can also see and we see it in cmi's research um we also see it in other data that of course we can also link to that there's basically just a general decline in people posting full stop and and as i've mentioned i think on this show i've mentioned that we even saw this content marketing world this year so the data is finally in from the complete event and our Twitter activity from the entirety of the event was down 60%. LinkedIn activity was up by 20%, but I think that's sort of a wave. So, so you can definitely see that there's a gap even there. Um, and Instagram was flat roughly. Right. And so it means people are posting less, right? It just, it just means that. And so my hypothesis right now is as we sort of end the year is that social media is becoming a lot less social and just <laughs> more media. It's just becoming media. We're being TikTok, right? And I mean, basically, yeah, yeah. it's becoming a media. It's becoming YouTube. It's becoming yeah. TikTok, where we consume media on social media platforms, but we don't create a lot of content on social media. Now, that obviously, obviously gives us an opportunity to become the content creator on social media. But that means looking at social media in a slightly different way. In other words, we stop valuing engagement, comments, and shares Mm -hmm. of our Mm -hmm. stuff and start rather measuring how it's helping us flow to our owned media platforms. And so that then gets us into, well, how do we start to... Because it's not that people don't want to be social. Right. They do want to be social. And we can see that in the data as well is that attendance to both virtual events as well as physical events are also up. Mm-hmm. And so people do want to be social. They do want to get together in groups and talk about common things and actually be social with each other. But now they want to do it in event type spaces. 
mm. whether physical or digital. And so that puts a new emphasis both on us as marketers to really put a big focus on events, both digital mm. and physical, make them more social and change the way that we create those interactions at those events so that they become the place where people in our ecosystems want to share that content, want to share pictures with each other, want to engage with us as a brand, but also then changes the nature of how we then publish out to social media and how we value social media, where now it becomes more of a content distribution network where we're trying to drive actions that bring people back into our own media sphere. So that's where I think we've got a big evolution going on and something we can think about for early next year as a sort of evolution of what we're doing. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. And I think a few things here. So I was, I was, uh, there was some coverage of the, the latest Twitter goings on on BBC today and they had um, uh, Ross Gerber, one of the, um, one of the early in- the investors in, in Twitter, and he was like, the platform is dying. You know, there's so, so much evidence, isn't there, that despite all the what they say, X itself is dying. And um, Dennis Shaw, who was at Content Marketing World, you know, he missed it. He missed the fact there wasn't that great back channel going on on Twitter. I mean, he saw that 60% um, cut as an attendee of the event, right? So your right. data, it correlates with his experience. And so in a way, um, the experience of people attending events is somehow diminished because they don't have the back channel anymore. And people used to love that. And I think the other, one of the other things is you were on your, your own um, podcast, I think, and I was listening to that today. Um, you made the point, you or Joe made the point that we had it lucky, you know, in 2009, that, that these platforms offered us an opportunity to grow organically and to promote and, and to work with us almost as a partner in growing our own media channels. But that, that's not the case anymore, right? Yeah, well... You know, I mean, as Joe also pointed out on the podcast that you can, there are lots of new yes. people that are making it yeah, work, right? Yeah. Um, even on X, uh, to his point, yeah. where I'm still not, I mean, as I'm you not. heard on the podcast, I'm still not yeah. completely convinced of. Yeah. Um, but he said, and we there there is data to support this, that you yeah. as a new content creator or you as a new marketer can, if you put a lot of effort into it, you can build a quote unquote community on Twitter on yeah. X, right? But the thing And you could do the same thing on Instagram and and well, you could yeah. certainly do it on TikTok. You can build an audience on TikTok and and that seems sure. to be the, you know, the the version of our ease quote unquote in 2009 is now been transferred to TikTok where from what I hear if you create good stuff um it's relatively straightforward to build a meaningful audience on TikTok because there's a lot of people consuming content on TikTok and yeah. the uh, the algorithm is friendly for if you're you know if you create a lot of consistently good content you'll you'll find people so yeah but it the- can be done but it is no doubt much 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 more difficult yeah but, um, you're, you're but it still you. comes back to even you know, even if you believe in those sort of tributaries to the mainstream or main trend, mm. it still all comes back to the main river of the emphasis being becoming the owned media that people are interested in, right? Yeah. You've got to become the place where, you know, marketing now really is about becoming the yes. uh, 
the you know the source of interesting things for your for your yeah. customers so that they not just visit there when you've got a buying need but they visit there when they don't you know they get value out of it when they're when they're just in their regular lives and so they start to depend on you as a brand to deliver entertainment inspiration information across all sorts of things yeah, but then, uh, yeah, so much there. Well, what, the very first point, of course, and it was the point you made about the fact that, and I'm reading this all over the place now, is the advice now is don't put any links into your social media stuff. You need to... You play, well, exactly, right? You Create play, that scarcity and, and yeah. feed the algorithm, right? Yeah, but yeah. you play... So we're playing within their wall garden and we're playing by the rules and we're on rented land. It's, it's, you know, that, that's what I meant earlier when I said it used to be, it was almost a partnership, right? Is that you could build your own owned media alongside supporting these social media channels by feeding them with content. It was content that had links in it and fit and building a community that had links in it. They take that away. You're only, you're only, it's rented land, you, you know, and absolutely. I mean, I can't dispute Joe saying that people are making a success of it, but they're making a success of it in the walled garden. Indeed. Yeah. And and I think what the smart ones are doing are they are finding creative ways to have people flow to their owned yeah. media using yeah. that using, you know, using that sort of yeah. tactic, right? Which is, you know, everything from, well, put the link in the first comment <laughs> yeah. or, yeah. you know, or, you know, or, or do it in a way where it says in the context of the text, or the image that you post with it, like, you know, more here, you know, and make yeah. people manually put in the URL yeah. so that you sort of fool the algorithm to think yeah. that this is all about, you know, an internal linkless post. But yeah. in actuality, it's, you know, it's, 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 you know, you're telling people to go somewhere else to get more of this. Yeah. And the same, by the way, the same is true in email. We're seeing the same trend in email, right? Where successful email newsletters are not linking out to other things what they're doing is they're everything is self-contained right mm. the value is in the email itself it's not about clicking out to the website or mm. doing those kinds of things but creating the scarcity by saying the only place you can get this content is within this email mm. Mm. yeah that's i mean that's like yeah that is slightly different and it, it see that's it just seems like um that just seems like a good publication to your audience and a better experience whereas i think there's something there's something different about the social media algorithms and and their intent on keeping a, keeping us and our content you know on on their platform and not sharing any of that love <laughs> you know what i mean by by right. and the, the thing is with this this very podcast i've been experimenting with creating the show notes as a LinkedIn post with the podcast embedded as a player in it. And, um, and also that thing about the, um, I think that thing about the first comment being the link is going to go away because I, I, I saw something the other day. I think LinkedIn is getting wise to that, that stuff as well. So we all find these little sneaky ways around it. And then the algorithm figures that out and then you haven't got that either. So I think there is a definite trend, isn't there, to keep you creating content on their platform and not giving anybody the opportunity to, to go and i think that that's uh yeah that's changed hasn't it agreed yeah i think i've i think i'm helping with your point where we got from the, the we started off with the collapse of twitter and i think that's part of the collapse of twitter isn't it is that if you're going to create somewhere as your walled garden you have to have tra faith in that community that they've they, and, and nobody nobody has faith in the twitter community anymore in the same way as they used to right 
Well, that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, if you can't depend on people to share your social yeah. media posts, yeah. right? Because they're, you know, or share your newest blog post or yeah. share your newest thing, if you can't depend on them because they just, nobody's yeah. doing that anymore. Yeah. Or, you know, when I say no one, I mean much fewer people are yeah. doing that anymore. Yeah. Then, then what you do is then, then what social media, it, it becomes literally like YouTube, right? Yeah. Where the reason you go into YouTube is to, yeah. Consume. Distribute your content on video to basically mm-hmm. provide for an easy way to stream video, yeah. and two to become a search engine, right? To become yeah. a place of discovery for whatever content you're talking about. Yeah. Then it becomes a question of okay, well, if that's the goal of my content on the mm-hmm. social media platform is to distribute it and have it be a discovery engine, yeah. then the question is discovery of what, right? Yeah. And and so you go, okay, well, it's a discovery of my podcast or it's a discovery of yeah. my webinar series or it's a discovery yeah. of my website, discovery of my resource center. Yeah. So you have to figure out clever ways to make people want to go find that without fouling the algorithm by putting a direct link in there. Well, and the other thing for, for most content, produ- for, for many content producers, particularly in B2B, the content isn't the product. So... If, if these channels, if these platforms make it harder for the for you to link to your content off of their site, and you know it's the first link in a chain towards somebody becoming interested in you and your product, right? So it's that's a problem. And the other one is, is I was thinking about weirdly enough, I was just thinking about RSS when you were talking just then because that used to be our aggregator of choice, right? And then yeah. social, then Twitter became our aggregator of choice. Um, but Twitter doesn't want to be it, our, our content aggregator. It wants to be our content library. It wants to host the content, doesn't it? Exactly. Well, that's yeah, exactly yeah. it. It wants yeah. to be the walled garden, right? It yeah, wants to yeah. be the place where you live. Yeah. It wants to be the place where you never have to leave, that yeah. you can get all your content. It wants to be the internet, right? Yeah. So, yeah. And, and so that's the, that's the tension. Yep. But, you know, but that means that social media is literally just becoming... Mm. media right it becomes you know i mean think about it you don't get to go put a link on you know bbc no you know what i mean the bbc is just a a linear feed and the only difference between facebook and the bbc is where they get their content right and so if bbc all of a sudden opened up its airwaves to say the best user generated content was is now going to be featured on the Mm. bbc it would be exact it would be what facebook wants to be Right. Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, the BBC is an interesting example because um, they have got so much content, and it, uh, it's hard to compete in certain areas if you're a um, if you're an independent content producer. If the BBC in the UK is focusing on that topic, right? Because they're, you know, they 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 you know, say like you want to write about gardening or something like that. They've got a huge amount of content on things like that. It's um, anyway. Yes, that's a different that's a different rabbit hole for another day. But um, if people are wanting <laughs> to go to a, a nicely tended wall garden where none of these bad things happen, where might they find that? Well, if they're going to a walled garden, <laughs> <laughs> they won't find many with me. Um, our website, we've uh-huh. got two websites, I guess, to talk about, is mm-hmm. our, our consulting and where we post a lot of this kind of stuff is at contentadvisory.net. Yes. But... Finding myself doing a lot more coaching these days and a lot more um, promoting of my new book, yes. um, which of course talks about these things, and they can find that at contentmarketingstrategy.com. Splendid. And as I am 
uh, as I do share links in the show notes, I will include those links in the show notes. <laughs> and when people spin the dial on the interwebs, where are they going to find you? Uh, LinkedIn and threads these days. I'm, I'm off Twitter completely. Um, yes. I've put out the no, no mas tapped no out, <laughs> um, uh, sort of sign on Twitter and, yeah. or X or whatever the hell it's called. And then yeah. I am, so I'm, go, I'm, I'm all in on threads. Uh, yeah. and then LinkedIn of course is where I mostly, yeah. I, I would also recommend, well, it was episode 399 of this old marketing today, wasn't it? I, I, it, it was if, if people are interested in this conversation that you and Joe had about this very topic, then go look at three episode three nine nine of this old marketing as well. So go go there go check is. that out after you've listened to this, obviously. <laughs> All right, mate. And most importantly for me, are you going to be in the bar next week? I will definitely be in the bar next. Week. I look forward to it, my friend. I see you then. And as Robert mentioned there, you can follow him and me actually over on threads. I'll include a link in the show notes. So that's a wrap on episode 189, the Rockstar CMO effing marketing podcast. I've been your host, Ian Truscott. Thanks to Jeff and Robert for sharing their insight and to you for dropping a dime into your podcast jukebox, selecting our track and jiving along with us. You can find all our links and all the things we discussed in the show notes on rockstarcmo.com along with our blog, newsletter and all of our previous episodes. And please let us know what you think by the socials or drop us a rating or review in your favourite podcast app or just keep listening. I'm glad you're here. Next week, I'll be chatting with David Alexander, the CMO at Everbridge and Robert will be back in the bar sharing his cocktails and a content marketing advice. But until then, have a great week and I hope you can join us here next week on Rockstar CMO FM. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.